0: balancing work and life what's up DAW Nation? welcome to another episode of behind the dot in this week's episode we are going to be interviewing Morgan Page which is kind of a big deal, so strap in for that, okay? If you're new to the series, welcome. This is awesome to have you. This is a series where every other week, we interview a music producer, a music industry expert, singer, songwriter, sound designer, someone in that area, and we interview them on an emotional, philosophical branding, marketing, and overall music business basis. So if you are interested to keep learning from people like Morgan Page, um, then go ahead and hit the subscribe button that is right below this video and take the little notification icon. However, if you are listening on the podcast, you can't do that totally understand, I know where you're coming from. You can hit the follow button, the subscribe button, whatever is appropriate on the particular platform that you're listening on, like Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Deezer, SoundCloud, I think I already said SoundCloud, I can't remember. Anyway, something, somewhere, something like that, go ahead and hit that and it'll basically do the exact same thing. So now the big question is, what are you gonna be learning in this week's episode? That is a fantastic question and there are going to be a lot of things, but four things that I particularly want you to look out for is, number one, how to not compare your worth how to compare your works, but not to compare your worth. Second thing that we're going to be talking about is optimizing your creativity. Third thing that we're going to be talking about is how you don't have to do everything inside of your music career. And of course, number four, how to balance music and life. Now, this is a great conversation because both Morgan Page and I, we both have families, we both have children and balancing music and life. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay, so we're going to be talking about that. So, Dot Nation, really quick, before we get into this episode, I do need to mention that this week's episode of Behind the Dot is sponsored by the Crywolf Masterclass. Now, it is in pre-order right now. You can pre-order the Crywolf Masterclass really quickly. And I feel it fitting to, to sponsor this episode because we're going to be talking about optimizing your creativity. And that's what the Crywolf Masterclass is all about, is actually learning how to get a system in place to be as creative as possible, as consistently as possible, not being like, oh, when am I going to be creative? Or I can only make music when, you know, this, the, the muses in the walls give me the inspiration that I need. No, none of that crap. He teaches you how to be able to be creative whenever you want and be able to do it consistently. So if you really like Crywolf or if you really want to learn how to really tap into that creative side, go ahead and pre-order the Crywolf course over on dawnation.net or you can click the link down in the description. It's not going to come out till about August, but right now you can get a really, really good discount on that course. So go ahead and click the link down in the description, head on over to dawnation.net. So Dawnation, with all that out of the way, let's go ahead and ask our absolutely alluring, appealing, charming, dazzling, and delicate, I really like that one, video editor Ben to introduce us to Morgan Page and to take us behind the dock. I want to welcome everyone to this week's episode of Behind the Dawg. We're absolutely graced to have Morgan Page. Morgan, can you say what's up to Dawg Nation? What's going on? What's happening? It's great to have you here, man. So me and Morgan, we were speaking before we hopped into here, and really, he has created something that I feel like for music producers, singers, songwriters, whoever it is in the music industry, he's got something that's really, really amazing. It's his little quick tips thing he's got going on. Can we get some more information about that, man?
1: Yeah, so a long time ago, I started to write down These notes to myself of what was working in the studio, just selfishly to keep track of these ideas. You know, what was working with the creative process, what processing I was doing to sense that was working. And I think the biggest part is it's very easy to forget all these little details that are really a big part of the process. So even just how to organize cables in the studio, how to maintain things, how to stay inspired. So I wrote them all down for years, collected over 800 of these tips, and I narrowed it down to about 20 of the best ones and we made a card deck so it's kind of like the Brian Eno oblique strategies but a little more visual and a little more actionable so it's an offline way to approach the creative process and it's good for people that aren't just musicians as well I mean it's definitely coming from my world of EDM and working with technology and music and marrying those two disciplines but it works also for video editors and architects and designers. If someone wanted to check this out, where could they find something like this? So if you go to mpquicktips.com, there's deep dive blog posts. And then the tips are kind of like the smaller units of information that make up this knowledge base. So there's cards that are actually on OWC's site. So OWC, the company that makes these amazing hard drives and Mac upgrades. So I teamed up with them to make the cards. That's where you can get the actual physical deck of cards. But all the tips are also on Twitter. They're at mpquicktips. So those randomly will post five a day from that 800 plus
0: okay so from my understanding is the physical one is the one that you narrow down to 20 where they can go and get those physical and then the ones on your twitter it just comes from the 800 that you have and just randomly spits them out every day is that correct
1: Yeah, that's the mother load. And I just have a spreadsheet of them because it was just kind of fun. I just drip by drip started to build this knowledge base. And you don't really see things like this very often because they take a lot of work and a lot of discipline to just write your ideas down and then not lose them. Every few days I'll create a tip on my own. Something will come up. The biggest thing also is a reason for doing them is to have a little more consistency in the creative process because I find that progress is definitely like a zigzag and I'll listen back. Sometimes mixes from two years ago sound better than ones I'm killing myself over today. So it's like two steps forward one step back and I wanted to be able to do less of that zigzagging if possible. It's unavoidable, but it's part of the process.
0: I like that and you know, really, I kind of see like this creative part of ourselves, right? I kind of see it as like some type of entity that we have inside of ourselves. And we have to be able to gain this relationship with said entity inside of yourself in order for it to give you the things that you want, which in this case would be creativity, right? And so when this entity, so to say, gives you creativity, and you don't respect that creativity, you don't respect those ideas, you don't respect those quick tips, as you would say it, why is it going to keep giving them to you? And so your process of actually, like, when these things come to you and you writing them down and you keeping track of them, not only, number one, it allows you to remember those things that come and you can use them later, but number two, it creates a fertile ground for more things to come. Can we agree with that?
1: Yeah, and you kind of get greased for this process of, like, the original idea was get these ideas down into compact form. It's kind of sort of like knowledge compression. So get these down quickly. I'm not writing an essay on all of them. I mean, in the blog posts, there's deep dives and that's its own world. But to me, it was like, if you really understand something well, you can condense it and you can demystify it and sort of uh, it's reduction. I love seeing YouTube videos that are 30 minutes long. I love masterclasses, but if they don't have an index of all the timestamps or you can jump to sections, it's kind of hard to go through and see if that's the information you really want. So I love guys like Jonas Aiden does some really good videos. He's very specific with timestamps, like here's where I'm discussing how I process my master bus, And you can navigate quickly through that when somebody provides that outline. So the tips are kind of another way of outlining information.
0: I think that's a fantastic idea. So what do you think has been the most popular tip that whenever someone partaking of your tips are like, wow, this is a good thing right here?
1: I mean, it sounds kind of mundane, but one of the most popular ones is stay focused, follow your vision, you know, don't be distracted by the careers of others. And it does sound very simple, but it's so true. And I have to remind myself about that. And I see the feedback like people, how many likes each tip gets on Twitter, and it's a good way to kind of gauge it. But that seemed to resonate with people a lot, that your happiness is relative to who you're surrounded by and who your peers are in the music industry and in life in general. So if you're hanging out with Elon Musk, you might feel like an underachiever. And you know, if you're Zed, then, you know, maybe you're not happy with your streams compared to the chain smokers or you know, it's like you're always comparing relative to the path that you're foraging. So I think you gotta compare yourself to appropriate models to other people. So that's a big part of being happy and staying motivated and staying in love with the process of making music.
0: I think you're right. You know, one thing when it comes to comparing a lot of people get tripped up on this, right? They start comparing themselves, like you were saying, to other people. They start feeling bad. But then there's times when comparing is very practical. We need to do it, right? But really what happens is we start comparing the wrong thing. It's very useful to compare practical, technical, goal-oriented style things, but it is not okay to compare worth. So, for example, if you and I, let's say that you had a, what's your favorite kind of fruit?
1: Let's say apples.
0: Okay, let's say that you had an Apple store, right? And I'm just like, man, Morgan Page is killing it at selling apples. I want to open an Apple store too, right? And then we can start comparing. It's like, okay, you know, he's making X amount of sales. I'm making X amount of sales, so on and so forth. And that's fine because I can be like, okay, I want to compare my tactics to his tactics because I could find gems inside of there that I could start using. But what's not okay is when I start comparing my worth to you. Oh, I'm just not a good person like Morgan Page. I mean, he's just better. I'm just worthless compared to him. He's just, why even try You see what I'm saying? You start spiraling down and start comparing your worth.
1: Yeah, and I think it's always weird to me whenever I Google somebody, the next suggestion is net worth. That's like the worst thing someone could be searching for is someone's net worth, unless it's like Jeff Bezos or it's something just curiosity. But I think that people should be careful not to be sizing themselves up to a figure. It's just not a path to happiness.
0: You're absolutely right. Bringing it back a little bit to your quick tips. What do you think out of all the 800 plus that you've done? What do you think is the weirdest tip that you have?
1: There are some weird ones with jet lag and things like that. And a lot of tips I have to update over time because technology changes and technology gets better and there's less maintenance you have to do. Like color coding the studio, it might not be the weirdest one, but a lot of people don't color code their cables or think about the workflow, like the physical workflow and getting the plumbing ready by the time the session happens. That's actually the most practical one. Even my power cables, my MIDI my data, I try to give everything an identity in the studio. And that's a really crucial part. Just that tip alone could save you thousands of hours, making sure both ends of the cable are color-coded, not just one. And my setup's always changing, so I try to keep it nimble. But uh, the weirdest one, I would say, is about the circadian rhythm, and that is about the creative process. It took me a long time to figure this out. It took me 10 years. Basically, when you wake up in the morning, you have ample creative opportunity. Whether you're a night owl or morning person, it's all really the same thing, and you have these two parts of the day where you're going to be most efficient. You're going to be most efficient in the morning, most efficient at the night, creative wise. So you get into those modes and then there's kind of a black hole that happens in the middle of the day. And that black hole is best for administrative work. It's the loudest and the brightest time of day. You're just not going to get that flow state that you want. So you can work in the morning, you can work at night. I do a little both now having a kid. So I have to try to get those hours in when I can and you know i see guys killing themselves trying to do 12 hour plus studio days and it took me a long time to realize that you're really maxing out your creativity past maybe 4 hours 3 or 4 hours after that you might even be working backwards on your mix and undoing work so i'm always numbering my sessions and making sure it's all saved but it's really crucial if you fight against this phenomenon if you fight against the circadian rhythm of how your body works relative to the light of the day, even if you have a studio with no windows, like I do, I have no natural light in here. Your internal clock is sending you these cues and you're just not going to get into that deep of a flow state. It's going to work against you. It's like fighting against gravity. So I just use that as an advantage.
0: I love that dude, using circadian rhythms to your advantage. So for those who don't know what circadian rhythms are, can we get like a hard definition of what a circadian rhythm is?
1: Oh man, I'm not a scientist, but uh hard definition is basically it's like your internal clock. So circadian rhythm gets messed up when you travel with jet lag and you know melatonin can obviously make a big change. So your body produces a certain amount of these chemicals that regulate when you're most alert and when you're kind of drifting off. So what's really cool is when you're less alert, it seems to be the time when you're in a better creative state of mind. I've seen guys like Rick Rubin talks about, being in an alpha state. I don't know how much I buy like the whole, I don't know enough about the brain waves and that scientific side, but I do know that if you're in that state that Rick Rubin talks about and Quincy Jones, where they're both lying down in the studio and people think they're taking a nap, but they're just getting into a more relaxed state. It's more conducive to making music. I don't know if they work with time of day in mind. I'm guessing they do. And it's no excuse not to do hard work in the early afternoon, but It's fighting against the laws of physics is what it feels like.
0: You're absolutely right. So this whole circadian rhythm thing is actually, it's really hard to convince music producers to actually do this because they love the freedom of doing whatever they want. Like staying up as late as they want, having irregular sleep patterns, traveling a lot, partying, doing all this kind of stuff. When that kind of stuff happens, it really creates not a very fertile ground for get circadian rhythms, right? If you're waking up at 3 a.m. one day, 11 a.m. the next day, and 2 p.m. the next day, yeah, it's really hard to get into it. But I can testify of what you're talking about. Because so right now, I've been waking up at 5 a.m. for about like three, four days straight. And I can't tell you how good I feel. I'm not trying to preach that like 5 a.m. is the magic number. I'm not trying to say that's just what works for me. But how much better I feel because my circadian rhythms are so like beautifully placed right now. Like today, I woke up at 4:54 or something like that and like it's dark out it looks like 4:54. it looks exactly like 2 a.m and 1 a.m and 10 p.m and whatever but it's like i just felt it i was like no it's five it feels good and i woke up my phone i'm like hey it's five look at that and the creative process that i have after that and being able to really count on that every single day like i've never been able to count on creativity before like this it was always fleeting before i did this
1: yeah and i think it took me a long time i think even only this year i really understood the benefit of getting up early you're forced to, as a new parent, you have to get up whenever you need to get up, but I have to kind of work a little more in the morning. I miss being able to just get up and go straight to the studio. That, used, that was a luxury I had yeah. for a long time. Actually, I'm doing more night sessions now, which for a while I got away from because you don't want to go to bed once you get rolling. you know. But if you can own the day before noon, I think you have a huge advantage over everybody else. Whether you're getting up at 5.30 or 6.30, I've noticed if you just shift it by an hour, it can change the momentum of your entire day. And I'm sure this sounds stupid to some people and they think this is like really plain advice, but it can totally change the outcome of the day. And I've seen it happen where if I don't get one key task done before noon, and if I'm deep into my phone on social media, then the day's toast, nothing's gonna happen. And I've seen this happen over and over and over. And it took me a long time to realize it, but it's the key part of it. Just you've gotta get one song done, maybe get a draft get something outlined, get something annoying you've been procrastinating out of the way before noon. And then the rest of the day is just gravy. I completely agree.
0: Just out of curiosity, what time do you wake up?
1: 6.30 is probably the best time for me. I'm an eight-hour person for sleep. Uh, I'm not one of these superhuman people that can do four or five hours. It just I don't wear that as a badge of honor. So I have to get eight hours. So typically it's bed at 10.30 or 11 and then I'm up at seven
0: i'm right there with you i'll tell you what so i've worked all hours right i've worked nine to five i've worked noon to eight i've worked four p.m to midnight i've done it all right and never in my entire life have i been able to feel so creative and so energetic and so like consistently awake as from my current schedule which is i wake up at five i work out and then i do my work from 6 a.m to 2 p.m and then i'm done And I never feel tired. You know what I mean?
1: You know, I was reading too, in terms of that routine of like, if you're ending at two, it's so smart too, because there's one guy, I think it was Mason Curry did this book about the rituals of all the most successful thinkers in history. And then they all did this very Tim Ferriss type stuff, very stoic stuff. But when they were done, they were done for the day. They front loaded their day. They got the bulk of the tasks done. And then they could just screw around the rest of the day. And most of them did. They just went on a walk the rest of the day and then had an early dinner and went to bed. Some of the best writers in history and best thinkers. So it's like, I think people put this burden on themselves to try to squeeze every ounce out of the whole day when they just really need to focus on when they're strongest.
0: I think you're absolutely right, man. I feel like we've gotten a lot of good information out of this. Is there anything else that you would like to say concerning what we're talking about?
1: No, I think if I was younger, like a new producer listening to this, I would start with being really hungry for technical tips. And then later on, I think you realize that the philosophy and the workflow and the organization really are the grease that powers everything because the hard work is up to you as a producer and the determination, but everything else, all these little techniques, I mean, I don't think of them as hacks, but all these things grease the workflow. They grease the gears of hard work later on. So it really helps to work with intention and work with tips and it's an exciting time to be making music, though. You know, there's just so many incredible resources right now. So hopefully I'm adding something to that. Talking about this and the habits that you
0: form over time, these quick tips that you've formed over time, what do you feel like in your music production career? How to I say this? Like the habit that you formed throughout your production career that you wish you didn't form, that like ultimately hurt you in the long run?
1: Just some small things. I think I started over-templatizing in some ways I should have done it more, in some ways I should have done it less. So I started building these massive templates with tons of virtual instruments and wondering why Ableton was just running so slowly. And It's easy to paint yourself into a corner with sort of setting up too many macros and too many audio racks, things like that. And there's other times where that helps the process and helps you create a signature sound. So I think Eventually, I learned to create more living templates, that I created multiple versions of templates for different purposes, different destinations, and different types of songs, remix versus drafting a new pop single or something. So I think it's a matter of keeping your methods flexible. I've kept flexible in some ways and probably become more rigid in others. So one of the most recent lessons that is really cool, Rick Rubin quote, is that he said, you don't get any extra credit for doing everything yourself. So My biggest fault is probably having ego get in the way where I didn't look to have a team help me fulfill my vision as much as I could have. Like I always had a management team and an agent and everything, but in terms of production, it was like, oh, I got to do everything myself. I want to EQ it, master it, mix it. And it's so stupid. Like Nobody cares if you do it all yourself.
0: You don't get any extra credit for doing it yourself. That's really good. So tell me, what are some things that you've kind of contracted out offset to other people that you feel like is really helping you take stuff off your plate to work on the things that you really want to?
1: Every song is different. If I had my way, I would do everything myself, but the problem is you hear the song too many times and that will destroy your ability to mix and master a track. So fresh ears are really what I'm hiring, but also fresh ears in terms of sound design choices and production. And it's important to have a complementary skill set. So maybe I'll work with a producer who's much younger than me and has fresher ears and is able to hear things in a different way. And I've been doing this so long that I have a set arrangement style that I do. This is a certain way I voice my chords and I've got to get out of that comfort zone. So what I typically do is I'll have wired mastering in the UK. Kevin will do stem mastering for me, Kevin Granger. He's really good. So I'll get my mix. of the way there and do my bus processing, get my master as loud as I can without destroying it. As far as this whole
0: concept, I know it's taboo in the music industry and the music production, you know, music producers, whatever it is. It's taboo, right? Oh, you don't do 100% of your work. Oh, you don't mix everything. Oh, you don't master everything. Oh, you don't do this, that, and the other, right? And it's so foolish to me. Like, I kind of understand where they're coming from, right? Because then it makes it feel like what this person created wasn't fully that person. They're like, oh, I thought they made everything. And so, like, I kind of understand that. But at the same time, like, dude, if we took any other business in the entire world, in any other industry, and we found out they had a team, we wouldn't even bat an eye. Are you pissed that the CEO of Coca-Cola is on the floor putting freaking dark water into bottles? Are you mad about that? I don't care about that.
1: It's funny because I was thinking the other day, working on some sound design for some of these new synths, and that's a pretty nerdy part of the process that not everybody does. Some guys thrive on it, but it's like, do you need to be soldering your synths for your songs? And you want to build your own display and your own computer? And like you can go as nerdy and in-depth as you want, and it's great, but it's not going to scale, and you'll burn out. And the music probably won't be as good because... You're not getting enough ears on something. I mean, it's kind of like in the film world, they talk about some guys, the joke is some guys want to be like grinding their own lenses and, and nobody does that. You know, exactly. it's like, it's very compartmentalized in the film world. And like you're saying, we don't bat an eye when there's massive teams coming together. But I think because of the singular visibility of an artist being this one force, and that's what branding is, is if you had to fit all the names in the credit roll, it's not going to fit into the Chiron on Sirius XM or onto the marquee at the show. Of so you've got to condense the name down at some point.
0: That makes so much sense. I think you're right. I think it ties back to the expectations that they have upon said artist, right? If you have no idea how music production works, you have no idea how like teams work, if you have no idea about managers and all that kind of stuff, and you just see this super figure Morgan Page, right? all of a sudden, without any other indication, you're like, okay, this is a guy that's bigger than life. He does everything. He's just this big, big person, right? And then you find out, oh, well, Morgan Page actually doesn't answer back his emails. He has an assistant to do that or, oh, he doesn't actually run his social media. He has a whatever to do that or whatever. You know what I mean? Well, then it starts like chipping away this godlike figure that this person has created in their mind and it causes discord because they had an expectation. Now that expectation is no longer being met. But I find it interesting inside the music industry because it seems like the penalty of that is a lot higher than in any other industry. Like if I found out, which I mean, this is no secret. If I found out that Robert Downey Jr. didn't write all the lines for Iron Man I would be fine with that. I don't care if there's other writers. But if someone finds out that, let's say, Rick Rubin doesn't do a certain process to his kick drums, oh, oh, holy crap, everyone's losing their crap at that point. And so it's like, it's interesting why it's so much weightier when it comes to people within music.
1: I think it comes from producers that it's sort of just a manifestation of jealousy. It's sort of a territorial thing. I remember seeing that a lot with DJing too, where it was, if you were using the sync button DJing, or it comes in stages. I remember at first it was, oh, you play on CDJs instead of vinyl, you're not a real DJ. And then it was, oh, if you're using CDJs with sync, you're not a real DJ. And then like all these stages, or if you're playing with a laptop, you're not a real DJ. And it's this myopia people get stuck in. It really is just this knee jerk reaction to, why am I not more successful? And it's a territorial thing. Why is this guy getting more gigs, whatever. So it's the competitive nature of a competitive world. And I think it's a natural reaction for people to have.
0: That's interesting. Seeing it as like a territorial primal instinct that we have in us. It's a knee jerk reaction. That's good. Morgan Page.
1: Yeah. And when I started out DJing, I didn't do the work my way up through the mailroom method of being the resident DJ and playing the local clubs and then play the regional clubs. I kind of went in sideways through radio. I didn't know that was even a path. I didn't even think this was a viable career that would make money or be sustainable. And I probably would have been psyched out if I had known how complicated it was to do this as a career. I'm glad ignorance is bliss. But I remember seeing guys that would be very territorial about their residencies. And I called it the curse of the residents because they wouldn't leave their residency to go play other opportunities because they didn't want to give it up. So the fact that they clung so tightly to the residency means they never grew and never progressed to that next level. So they shot themselves in the foot. And I saw this happen in markets all around the country. And it was a big thing. And then those guys just stopped DJing.
0: Dude, this is interesting. And really what you're talking about right now, like how they're clinging to their residency, it goes back to what you said a couple minutes ago, where it's like, when you have this mindset, like this territorial mindset, this jealousy mindset, this whatever mindset, this all I want to do everything, you have to do everything yourself type of mindset, right? When you have that, it creates in you the inability to scale. I think that's what you said a couple minutes ago. And that's the biggest thing is like when you want to create a brand or a business or whatever, it's just this big, well-oiled machine thing. You can't do it yourself. I mean, it's no longer a matter of opinion. It's definitely a matter of fact at that point. You don't have enough hours in the day to, number one, do those things or to learn the skills to do all those things and still stay very efficient at all those skills at the same time.
1: Yeah. And you'll just be switching between different tasks. You'll be doing the equivalent of bad multitasking. You'll be a mile wide and an inch deep and have no mastery over any of your skills. So I could code my own plugins. And like I was saying, I could solder my gear, but I'm going to be pretty terrible at each task. And I'm probably not going to stay in love with the process and stay in a flow state. I'm going to be stressed if I was trying to be my own agent, my own manager, my own tech support everything. And there's already so much to juggle as it is, that it's already tricky to scale and stay relevant as a brand with the amount of saturation that's out there. And everybody can become so good at these skills so quickly now with all the resources that are around that the market can change really quickly. And you've got to stay up to task and you've got to keep your sonics sounding modern. So this is
0: an interesting concept that you just brought up that I just thought about. So in regards to like, let's say You and me, we both do this full time, right? I do the podcasting thing full time. You do music full time. So like we have a viable business at this point. We can build teams and so on and so forth. But for someone who's a smaller music producer who isn't making any money on it whatsoever and they want to, they want to make it a full time thing. They're starting to understand. They're starting to listen to us and they've got a good head on their shoulders and it's making sense and they want to build the team so that they can crank out stuff faster and become more efficient, but they don't have the money or the platform to do it at said time. If they're in that kind of position where they know they need to build a team to scale faster, but they don't have the resources to do it, what would you suggest?
1: I think the trickiest thing is getting that team and attracting the team to you. Because I remember interviewing managers and typically you want to bring everyone to you at some point and make some noise, get some momentum so that you're not just someone that's more interested in it than the rest of the team. And it was hard. So I interviewed people and they wouldn't give me the time of day. Everybody blew me off. And I finally found one manager that was like, all right, I guess I'll put a little time into this and we'll give it a shot. And we built something together and I don't have the same manager anymore, but I felt like it just grew to different needs of a different team. But if you're starting out, I think with the tools and the platforms that are available, you've got to get the momentum going before the team and then you can scale appropriately.
0: I think that's a really great piece of advice. And do you know uh Steven from Cymatics? Yeah. Cool. So we were on the phone one day and he's like one of the smartest things that you can ever do as kind of like the head honcho of your team is you go and you do the things first that you know your team is going to take later so that you know the process and what you want from it. So for example, if I know that I want someone to be creating micro content for our podcast episodes. I need to go create that micro content first and then I can teach them. Well, lo and behold, I got someone in the corner right there, Ben, good man, who is now doing the micro content for me. And so with that being said, these producers, before they can build the team, they really need to be able to do those things by themselves first. They need to learn how to send the emails to get in contact with people. They need to know, okay, how to at least promote a song, at least on a small level. They need to know how to do these things, right? Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, I think you got to go through it once. A lot of the entertainment agencies, back to the mailroom method, it's you work in the mailroom. And that way you learn the organization, you learn all the roles in the company first. So you progress naturally, you start humbly, and you're able to go to each of those levels. Honestly, my first job in LA, I was a receptionist for a marketing company. Just felt like a very lowly job, but it was very humbling. I didn't think I would be working day jobs to get started. And it started with that though. I worked for a film and TV sync company for a little while, organizing their music library, doing a pretty poor job at that. And then I worked for a marketing company doing street teams for record labels and movies.
0: That is awesome. So yeah, you were put in a position to actually win those things. That's great. With this whole subject that we got going on with like music producers starting small, trying to scale up and build teams, is there anything else that you would like to say or anything that's coming to your mind?
1: No, I think the only other point it is important for people to have integrity with the process where they're not just buying and selling tracks. The pendulum can swing a little too far in one direction where guys are just buying top line, total tracks. And I mean, obviously I work with top lines. That's an important part of the process. It's almost like remixing a song, but it's an original. But when guys buy things completely and have no role in the process, then I think that is a whole other beast. If they're not creatively guiding the vision or doing any of the work, then I kind of look down on that sort of extreme example of it, and that happens a fair amount. But all the guys that are successful, that are doing well, are way more hands-on than people think. Even if they're not doing the physical work in the room, even if it's guys like Diplo, they're very involved with feedback and moving the process along and cultivating their taste and cultivating the sound of their records. So I think it's very easy to be cynical and skeptical of people that are successful. And then you find out they really work hard and they want it more than anyone else out there.
0: So we have definitely been going down a lot of rabbit holes and this has been really good. One subject that we talked about before we hopped on this call that I would really love to hone in on is this whole concept of work life balance. You go on YouTube and search that. There's like 14 pages of people trying to explain it but ultimately failing. And so, what is your take on this whole work-life balance?
1: It doesn't exist. Everyone would ask me like, "How do you balance it all?" I'm like, "You don't because if you're the amazing parent, then you are probably slacking in the music stuff, and it's just this back and forth seesaw. It's not a static thing of balance. So balance is always in flux. I think maybe the act of balancing things is how smoothly you can juggle them, even though one is dominating one part of your life. And then the career side is dominating and you're not as good of a parent. And then, okay, I'm back to being parent mode. And then, okay, back to the music while we still have some momentum with this new record. You're kind of running from one end to the other. So I think people put themselves under an unfair burden to think that they're going to be at this static State of balance all the time. And same thing for happiness, too. You know, it's happiness is always fleeting. We're not wired for happiness. We're wired to be a little bit anxious and unsatisfied. And that's part of evolution. It's part of how you're designed to keep moving and stay alive. So
0: interesting. So, between the two of them, right? I know the one that I struggle with, but out of curiosity, which one do you feel like creeps into your life more? Do you feel like when you're in the studio, you find Family life creeps in a lot more when you're with family, do you feel like work life creeps in a lot more?
1: I think it depends where your studio is. My studio is at my house, but it's a few floors down. Mm-hmm. So I'm isolated, but I try to get my phone out of the studio. But every now and then there's an emergency and I'm sort of brought back up into the domestic vortex. So I have to be careful with that. And I think they can bleed over a little too much if you're working out of the same location, even though I'm just like two minute walk away I try to respect both, but I think you have to create boundaries so that this is a work area and this is the play area and I try to keep rigid hours. Oh, and the best way I do it is we do like Monday is my day to take care of the baby completely the whole day. So give her a break and then I work nine to five in the studio the rest of the days until I leave on Friday for the weekends with the shows. And then I do a night session every night after dinner. So I do like 8 to 11 in the studio and then go to bed.
0: That's a pretty rigid schedule. And I think that's actually really, really cool. Dude, I know what you're saying though, when there's emergencies. A couple days ago, I heard some screaming. My daughter's sitting there pouring water over the outlet. So that's a thing. Uh, another time, actually when I was doing it behind the doll with Dennis Koyu, the dishwasher caught on fire. So, yeah,
1: I I, I heard that one. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. You know exactly what I'm talking (laughs) about. All those things. And so I understand, like, actually, a lot of us, unfortunately, do have to work from home. So, like, obviously, I'm home. I'm like relatively 20 ish feet away from my family at any any given time, right? And sometimes we have to do that. We don't all have the luxury to go and get an office. But I see what you're saying, then putting the boundaries up in order for you to get the things done that you need to. Because without those boundaries, dude, you're just doing a mediocre job on both sides, right? Everything's crossing over into each other. You're a mediocre parent. You're a mediocre worker at that point. And it's just, ah, those boundaries, they're so freaking hard though.
1: There's a book I was reading recently called Getting Things Done. Speaking of like Robert Downey Jr., I guess he swears by this guy. I forget the author's name, but he is all about creating a workflow so that you're not feeling FOMO. When you're in producer mode, you're not thinking I'm a bad parent. And when you're in parent mode, you're not thinking I'm a bad producer or you're not sidetracked with thinking, you should be working on this when you're doing this. So you can work more in the present. And that's a really important skill I think probably everyone's working on. But just to have a little more peace in your focus so that you have a singular focus for what you're working on, you can enjoy that and say, cool, did my parent hours this morning, now I'm gonna go to the studio and kill it and then move on to the next project.
0: There's one thing I think would be really cool to share with everyone and share with you, I feel like this would really help you out if you don't know about it already. Prefacing this question, Are you big into video games?
1: Do you like video games? I do. I feel like I have so much less time now, but I was a big Halo player.
0: Dude, yeah, absolutely. So here's something really cool. This is a really great productivity hack that me and my team have found, and it's really freaking cool. Have you ever heard of an app called Habitica? No. Oh, dude, it's so good. So basically what it is, it's a habit tracker, to-do list tracker, thing of that nature, but it's all based around a video game. So you have your person that you become, and the way that this person quote-unquote levels up and fights monsters and gets magic and all that kind of stuff is by you keeping up with your habits and keeping up with the things that you need to do. The more you don't keep up with those things, the more the person dies and degrades and all that kind of stuff. The more you keep up with it, the more cool things you got. Like, I got a wolf now. It's really cool. And it's all tied towards your productivity.
1: How does it tie into like your task? You're inputting your real world tasks. Like I got like a to-do list or exactly.
0: So like, for example, my habit right now that I talked about earlier was waking up at 5 AM. And so I have that on there. And every time I keep that and wake up at 5 AM, I can knock that off. and My person gets stronger. If I don't keep that, then my person loses health. Every single day, you know, this helps me keep track of the things I need to do because there's also a to-do list in there. So it's like, okay, I need to edit this. I need to film this. I need to do this. I need to email with this person. I need to go over this, whatever, whatever. And I make all the tasks within there. And as I knock them off, I get more experience, get more whatever, like super nerdy things that I get, you know, swords and whatever. It's really freaking nerdy, but it's really freaking fun. If you're super into video games and you want to kind of have like gamify this system of like getting crap done, I haven't found anything better. This is so fun.
1: Yeah, this looks awesome. I'm just looking at the website right now. Oh, dude, awesome.
0: All my team uses it. It's so much fun. So yeah, if you're into that, as far as like keeping track of everything, it's one of the greatest things
1: ever. And you know, it ties in too with the Quick Tips because I wanted a way to gamify it. And I think gamifying in some sense is just giving a visual representation to tasks you're working on. So you're kind of working with a little more intention. And like I bought these Brian Eno cards years ago. They're from the 70s. And those are just text. Like they say, work with no abandon or like reverse the sound. Like they're very vague phrases that give you creative dilemmas to work with. Like Calvin Harris uses in the studio and like he'll shuffle the deck. And they're ways to sort of add some entropy to the mix and add some flux to your process. And maybe take you in a different path. But I feel like I wanted these cards so that you visually would see the color coding and get the idea and visually see like, oh, cool, I'm going to name all my hard drives different characters from the Marvel universe or something, different ways to stay organized. And that way you can almost gamify it. Like there's no points involved, but it's gamified because it's a card deck.
0: You're absolutely right. And it's kind of creepy that you said that because that is how I organize my hard drives. <laughs> oh, really? That's I, crazy. <laughs> I have a time stone and a space stone.
1: And like, dude, yeah. Because you just give them any unique name. I mean, they could be wrestling names or something, you know, whatever works. That is absolutely awesome, man. I feel like this
0: has been a really, really good interview. Is there anything else you want to add to this?
1: You know, we could talk about gear stuff. I mean, tell me what's inspiring you with gear. I'll tell you some of my highlights in my studio.
0: Man, with gear, that's a really good question.
1: Or software, Software is gear.
0: Software, okay. Yeah, certain softwares that are really, really getting me right now. There's two right now. So one's a synth, one's just like an audio effect. The audio effect one that really gets me is Ubic G. You ever played around with that?
1: Ubic G, no.
0: It's a grain pitch shifter so AU5 showed this to me and it's unreal you put it on anything and you start pitch shifting the grains inside of it and all of a sudden it's just like you're foaming at the mouth if you're if you're really into that type of sound like i am you know very 85 style morphing bases style stuff like I, I really like that kind of stuff and so it's unbelievable the type of sound design that you can do with this kind of stuff especially when you have like three four five different patches all at the same time all modulating it's really crazy so that's the first one. Then the second one is the synth, which is kind of the hot topic that everyone's been talking about, which is phase plant.
1: That's so funny. I love it. I'm obsessed with it.
0: Oh yeah, dude. This thing, it's kind of the serum killer, dude. There's so many things. It's modular. You can have way more oscillators. Anyway, what's your thoughts?
1: I think it just sounds huge out of the gate, even without having to put a ton of effects or OTT on it or anything. I mean, it's a beast on your computer, but the fact that you can stack the samples over the wavetables... And just route anything, modify anything within one screen is a big deal.
0: Yeah, man. I'm kind of really excited to see what Steve Duda and everyone does. Serum's still a staple, and more people know about it, and more people use it at this point, but it's kind of like who made it kilohertz? They kind of had like a pretty hard flex over to Steve Duda, you know what I mean?
1: It's interesting now too, with you have Massive X that came out. You even have hardware synths that were inspired by Serum. Like I just got the Hydra synth in. It's the first like real synth from China. And I don't know if you've seen it. They announced it just this fall. They had it at Nam, but it has even more wavetables than Serum. It has like 220 wavetables. And you can morph between all the wavetables, but it's a hardware keyboard. And you see an oscilloscope, so you can see what you're doing to the waveforms. Yeah. So it's kind of like this bridging the gap between the software wavetable world and the hardware wavetable world, because I totally didn't even realize that that was so well-established before Serum. It wasn't like Serum was the first wavetable since there were so many other products decades ago that had that. But Serum brought it in a modern plugin workflow.
0: Dude, this is cool. I didn't know this existed. That's a good hearty $1,300 that I'm looking at right now. That's nice.
1: For the money, I got mine. I'm like, I can't afford not to have this. I mean, even the rack mount one's 800 bucks, but analog synths are 2,000 bucks. It's just too much money to spend. And then you have like the, you know, I played the Moog One the other day. I wasn't that into it. I don't know, for $7,000, I don't know. It's this one's really inspiring me. So I, I rarely buy new synths. I have a couple of different hardware ones in studio here. I have a Dave Smith OB6. I have a Moog Voyager. I have a Prophet 08. But I usually end up using software. But I think this the HydroSense is one of the first ones where I'm like, wow, this is inspiring the process. So, but yeah, Faceplant is amazing. What else has been really inspiring? I think a lot of the processing plugins right now, like Goldfoss, i using that a lot.
0: Dude, that's the one that's like a hyper dynamic eq kind of thing
1: right yeah i mean just kind of lifts all the good stuff that's been buried in the signal that one's cool people have been talking to me about soothe i haven't really Dude, okay. found the best application for that
0: do you like Soothe? fair okay i'm really glad you jogged my memory so on all the vocals now that we do for the podcast and the youtube series and all that and all of our courses we all run through soothe it makes so much sense it just does the hard work for you you don't have to go in and notch out any resonant frequencies it just does it for you And it does it dynamically. You don't just have like a bunch of peaks and like notches in your signal anymore. You know, you're not just throwing one shoe onto two different feet. You got shoes for all appendages for everyone at the party. Do you crank it past 50?
1: I mean, do you go, how hard do you push it?
0: I definitely just leave it at 50. That's definitely our thing. But I mean, we have just to see like what it does, right? And you can put it in Delta mode where that shows you what it's cutting out. And like, it hurts to listen to because it's like, Oh my gosh, this really is all the crap frequencies. So, if you have Soothe for like vocals, to me, that's just kind of a staple at this point.
1: Yeah, I think we're just seeing such intelligent processing plugins. Also, um, Track Spacer. I remember 85, tell me about it. What is that again? Tell me one more time. It's like a sidechain dynamic oh, EQ. Right. So, instead of volume ducking, it's sort of doing a ton of notching out of the frequencies. So, you're only ducking the frequencies of the kick, or like if you're doing vocal versus guitar. You'd be ducking the key vocal frequencies out of the guitar.
0: That's right, because a lot of producers, one of the main things I hear about them is like, oh man, when I have my vocals over my track, it just feels like I'm putting my vocals on top of the track. It doesn't feel like it's a part of the track. And then like, oh man, I can't have my vocals and my super saw at the same time or whatever. But that's what Track Spacer does is like, It like kind of creates that so they can kind of live in harmony with each other, right?
1: Yeah, and I guess it doesn't work as well for that traditional pumping effect. Like I love ShaperBox. That's my number course, one. Yeah. That's incredible especially with the new updates they have. But ShaperBox, being able to kind of multi-band sidechain stuff is great. But if you want, just to get that transparent sidechaining, where you're trying to just create space dynamically. is really cool, I'm starting to use that more, especially now that Ableton is just a lot easier to sidechain, you can pick the trigger much more easily.
0: Of course, there's one I got for you. You mentioned Trackspacer, so I gotta bring one to the table now too. Zynaptic Morph, you ever messed with that?
1: Yes, I have Unfilter, which I love but it's so processing intensive. I almost never use it, but morph, I got to mess around with that more
0: dude, morph that's something else, man. Like that's some black magic right there. For those listening that don't know what that is. It's like a algorithmic sonic morpher, I guess you'd call it or like, come, I don't even know what you would say. Do you know how to describe it better?
1: Does it sort of find the shared harmonics and sort of the difference in the harmonics and then melts them together somewhere.
0: it's definitely something like that it's something along those lines because it's not just so much like a crossfade right crossfade is just more so like just volume attenuation and augmentation at the same time right one thing's dipping in volume the next thing's gaining in volume this is not that this is way further than that you're right it's like something on like a sonic harmonic type level where it finds the similarities and the differences and then creates something new and you can kind of go between the two of them it's oh my gosh Zimnatic they really got something going on like they are some black magic style dudes
1: yeah and i feel like they're not as well known they're kind of a little more obscure there's so many plugin companies that are out there i'm just like where have these guys been hiding like why didn't i know about this plugin before yeah, or because it's like a one or two-man operation like duda
0: you're absolutely right and get this man you ever messed around with max for live stuff
1: i use the lfo one which should be like a standard tool in there i don't know why they've kept it yes, as a max yeah, tool exactly. it's like the best plugin in ableton
0: dude there's some people in the max for live worlds that have created stuff and i'm
1: just like what or the Live Essentials. I haven't tried it yet. I just downloaded the Live Ableton Essentials suite. It's kind of brings in all the missing key commands that people have wanted. It's like another layer of the interface. You can duplicate a track and clear the waveform so it's not just duplicating the waveform again, like little common nitpicky things that Ableton Power users have wanted, they've put into this.
0: Dude, this has been awesome. We're coming up on time right now, so be real with me. Has this been a good interview for you? Yeah, it's been great. You had a good time, yeah? yeah? All right, dude. I got to check out the habatic, Habatica? Habitica. Well, it could habatica. be habat, Habatica. <laughs> habatica. That's how I say it. But awesome, man. Really appreciate you coming on. This is a really good time.
1: Yeah, no, thanks for having me.
0: What's up, Dot Nation? Did you enjoy that? Did you learn a lot? Now, before you head out, there are a couple of things that we need to talk about before this episode ends. Now, if you really did like this episode with Morgan Page, go ahead and go down into the comments and leave us a comment. We'd love to know what your thoughts are on this episode. Also, hit the like button if you liked it or the dislike button if you hate children I mean if you didn't like this episode you know like what what whatever 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 also make sure to hit the subscribe button and the notification bell so donation with that being said let's talk about these other things that we have that are going to be of extreme value for you so now right now right the second right here right now you are on behind the dog. Okay, but we also have a series called In The Daw. Okay, Behind The Daw is like I talked about in the beginning. This is where we interview music producers, music industry experts, people of that nature, on an emotional, philosophical, branding, marketing, music business basis, that that kind of stuff. In The Daw is where we interview people on a technical aspect, right? We actually have them come and dissect songs that they've already made, songs that have already been proven to work. So if you're more interested in that, then go ahead and check out the green episodes on this channel, okay? We've had people like Levitate, Pronounced Yeah, uh, who else have we had? We've, we're about to release an episode with Charlie Crown. Um, we had one with Slippy, the, Zan Griffin. There's a whole bunch of people that we have interviewed. So make sure to check out those episodes as well. Also, like I mentioned in the intro, this week's episode is sponsored by the Crywolf masterclass. And so if you want to pre-order that Crywolf masterclass and get it at a ridiculously cheap price, then go ahead and go over to DaNation.net or click the link down in the description. That entire masterclass is going to be about creativity, how to excavate these amazing ideas, these amazing feelings and words and and productions and all kinds of stuff that you have inside of you and learn how to excavate it out on a consistent basis. And it's going to be a gigantic masterclass. I mean, absolutely huge, like 20, 30 hours. Okay. And so if you want to pre-order that right now, then go ahead and Head on over to DawNation.net. The masterclass is probably going to be coming out around August time, and we still have a lot of work that we need to do with it. But if you want to check that out, then go All right, go check it out. DawNation.net. But with that being said, DawNation, we would also love to hear from you. So if you want to go ahead and take a screenshot of wherever you're listening right now, whether it's on YouTube or Spotify or Google Play or Deezer, or iTunes, or wherever you are, go and take a screenshot and go ahead and send me a DM on Instagram. Tag, actually, tag, there's a better idea. Tag us on an Instagram story because then it'll automatically send it to my DMs. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know what in this episode really resonated with you. I've been trying to be really, really good with my DMs. And so if you want to do that, go ahead and take a screenshot. I would love to hear from you. Also, if you have suggestions of who you want to come on the show, go ahead and comment down below or... Send me a DM on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you either way. But, Donation, with all of that out of the way, I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Behind the Dot. And make sure to come back here next week for our new episode of In the Dot. We got a lot of content coming out, Donation. It's cool. So with that being said, we will see you on next week's episode.